Good afternoon and good evening to everyone. My name is Dave Frankowski and I'll be your moderator for today's class. And welcome to another lecture given by the Oceanside California class. This is a school and not a church. Neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. The school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh our Elohim and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given unto our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year of 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year of 1958, and we hold classes in the United States and in various other countries. The Oceanside class was established in 1994. At this time, I'd like to introduce to you the Dean of the Oceanside class, Dr. Dennis Volpe, and the President, Dr. Carl Emler. Now, in this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title for the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The correct name for our Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The correct title for the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. And the correct name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles, they are not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and there are God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name, and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike the titles of Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. It's a divine title because it's the title that our Creator has chosen for Himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. And a minor investigation on your part into a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew, the Greek, nor the Latin languages have any letters or characters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that's made by the letter J. Neither was there a letter J in our own English language until some 1400 years after the death of the Messiah, which would make such names as Jesus and Jehovah impossible renderings for the true name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state, he is incomprehensible and inscrutable. He is the ultimate source, substance, the limits and the bounds of everything that exists. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. And we've drawn this cloud to extend all around the edges of this chart to show that everything on this chart is within the cloud, 
in like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh knowing that man could not perceive of him in his pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Yahweh Elohim. This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form can only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, the self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body, and he walked the earth plane as Yahshua, the Messiah, who the whole world calls Jesus Christ. Now there's only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what did they call the Savior when he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface to the Holy Name Bible. Also in this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It's the divine pattern because it's Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he called Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and he showed him this threefold tabernacle pattern in a vision. Later on, Yahweh instructed Moses to build one in the wilderness of Sinai, exactly like the one he had seen in his vision on the mount. The tabernacle pattern is a threefold pattern consisting of a most holy place, a holy place, and a court round about. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and it operates according to the structure and the function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and that absolutely nothing escapes the pattern. This school has 10 primary constitutional objectives and aims, and they are as follows. One, to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Two, to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Three, to investigate the unexplained spirit law or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Four, to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, modern, practical, and occult science. Five, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Six, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seven, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons, operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eight, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith, which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Nine, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained. There is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, saving the name of Yahshua the Messiah. And ten, to inherit eternal life now, 
in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of a mortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace and our slogan is speak the truth. We'll begin this afternoon with a prayer by Dr. Sean Hudgen-Wardle from our Ontario, California class. And we'll have a scripture read, which will be 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And that'll be read by Dr. Jerry Geller from our Oceanside, California class. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. All right. Thank you. Um, good evening. Let us all bow in our hearts and in our minds for a moment of prayer to our Heavenly Father, Yahweh. Dear Heavenly Father, Yahweh, we thank you for allowing us to come together one more time to hear of your great divine and stupendous purpose, pattern, and plan that you declared from the beginning of your creation and have drawn out and have revealed through your only begotten son, Yahshua the Messiah. And we're happy to have come together to learn of your purpose. And we hope to understand more about your purpose and your pattern and plan. We pray that you still our hearts and minds and focus on focus us on what is being taught so that we can understand and rightfully divide that word of truth. And the body is edified and raised up. It's already done. We thank you for everything you have provided for us. In the name of your only begotten son, Yahshua the Messiah, let us all say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good afternoon, class. Today I'll be reading 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter from the Holy Name Bible, containing the Holy Name version of the Old and New Testaments, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts, revised by the late A.B. Trena of the Scripture Research Association Incorporated in College Park, Maryland, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of Elohim, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon which are, with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is Elohim, who also hath given unto us the pledge of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from Yahweh. 
for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with Yahweh. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted by him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of the Messiah, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of Yahweh, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto Yahweh, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For if we be beside ourselves, it is to Elohim, and if we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of the Messiah constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known the Messiah after the flesh, yea, now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in the Messiah, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of Yahweh who hath reconciled us to himself by Yahshua the Messiah, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that Yahweh was in the Messiah, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for the Messiah, as though Elohim did beseech you by us. We pray you in the Messiah's stead, be ye reconciled to Yahweh, for he hath made him to be sin offering for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Yahweh in him. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Thank you, Dr. Geller and Dr. Hudgemortal. Our scripture readers this afternoon will be Dr. Linda Volpe from our Oceanside, California class and Dr. Mike Josephson from our Green Bay, Wisconsin class. Speakers, please be advised. You'll see a five-minute sign appear on your screen. Please acknowledge when you've seen the sign. And for our first speaker this afternoon, I'd like to call Dr. Jerry Geller from our Oceanside, California class. Good afternoon, class. Uh, Good afternoon. Again. Good afternoon. <laughs> I'd like you to go to the scripture lesson, please. And I want to pick up verse 19. To wit that Yahweh was in the Messiah is what it says. Okay. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 19. To wit that Yahweh was in Yahshua. 
reconciling the world unto himself. So Yahweh was in the Messiah, reconciling the world unto himself. Now that is something I never heard when I was in Christianity, that God or Yahweh was in the Messiah. I thought that God and the Messiah were brothers. Or one, actually one was the father and then he had the Messiah. It was like his little boy. But that was my carnal concept because I really didn't know how Yahweh really was and how he existed. And one of the aims of our class is to help you find and know Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Now, when we talk about Yahweh, what we're talking about, he's called the Father. But Yahweh is spirit. Let's go ahead and pick that up in 1 Corinthians 15 and I think it's 1 Corinthians 15 and 5. Second Corinthians 3.16, Bruce says. Yahweh is spirit. Okay, 3.15. It's 17. Yes, thank you. Now Yahweh is spirit, and where the spirit of Yahweh is, there is liberty. Now Yahweh is spirit, it says. Now, when I came into this class, I had no idea of what spirit was at all. And if you do an investigation, we could spend a whole class doing this, but you can you can um you can read about how Yahweh really is attributes. It will say, if you read over in First John, it says Yahweh is love. Um, it says that he filled Olihab and Bezalel, is that their names? Yeah. In the prophets, in the law, he filled them with the spirit of of wisdom and understanding on how to build the tabernacle and if you look up spirit in your concordance and you look up and see what's associated it with it will say the spirit of wisdom the spirit of love the spirit of understanding and we we find out that yahweh he he is spirit and it's spirit's not something you can discern with your natural senses you can't see or touch or taste or smell you can't you can't discern yahweh with those senses he has to be revealed because spirit is not something that is seen with your eyes spirit is something that has to be revealed yahweh is spirit the nine basic attributes of yahweh if you can if whoever has that chart can zoom in uh to the cloud there it, the nine basic attributes of Yahweh are wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, beauty, love, and justice, foundation, power, and strength. Now that is what, it's not what Yahweh has. He doesn't have love. He doesn't have justice. He is the essence of divine love itself. He is justice. He is wisdom. And, and that's just, it's not something that we could understand with our natural senses. It Again, it has to be revealed. And Yahweh, he knew that. And so he took on a shape and form and appeared unto a man in a shape and form that man could understand. What he did is he took on this shape and form 
of Yahweh Elohim, you see it right next to the tabernacle there. He took on a shape and form of a man and manifest himself in visions in that shape and form. When he appeared unto Ezekiel, he described him as having the 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 woolly hair and you 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 hear the ex explanations of what they saw and they saw a vision of a man and this is an intermediate shape and form that he's no he is known as and that shape and form is known as Yahweh Elohim or Elohim he's also known in that state as the word of Yahweh because it was in that state that he spoke in the creation. If you go back to Genesis, the first chapter, you read that in the beginning, Elohim spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke and he said, let the earth be divided, yada, 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 for the rest of the, the days of the creation. He just spoke and it was done. And we read that in Psalms that he spoke and it was done because he's the word. He's also the word like the promise of Yahweh. Sometimes you give your word, you give your guarantee, or you give your promise. He's also that, that aspect of that word, word as well. But he's called the word in this state. Now we read that in, if you go and you pick up some of the prophets, we read, I think it was in Genesis 15, that the word of Yahweh came unto Abraham. If you look at the in the beginning of several of the prophets, if you could just grab a few of them, if you have them, you'll find that the word of Yahweh came into Ezekiel. It was the word of Yahweh that came unto so-and-so. Do you have any scripture readers? Did you want 15th of Genesis? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, Genesis 15.1. After these things, the word of Yahweh came unto Abram in a vision, saying. So it was the word of Yahweh. Is, did, you, did you get any, Linda, by any chance? I have 1 Samuel 15 and 10. That's then, great. That's one of the prophets. Then came the word of Yahweh unto Samuel, saying. Great. So the word of Yahweh, he's the one that appeared unto Samuel in a vision. He appeared unto uh, um, Abraham in a vision and all the prophets. The, they didn't just spout off the things that they wrote about in their, in their books. It was a vision that Yahweh gave them that allowed them to see and understand and uh, write the things that they saw. So he appeared in this shape and form. And then, then what he did, he's, he also appeared in a fleshly body known as, as we know him best as Yahshua, the Messiah. So let's get John one and one, if you would, Linda, or, or uh, whoever's reading. And I have another word while he's getting that. This Go is ahead. Ezekiel 13, one. And the word of Yahweh came unto me saying. Thank you very much, Linda. Okay, do, let's get John one and one. John one and one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Yahweh, and the Word was Yahweh. So in the beginning was the Word, and we know that the Word is Yahweh Elohim, right? We've established that. Mm -hmm. In the beginning was Elohim, or Yahweh Elohim, or the Word. 
The word was with Yahweh, who we know is spirit. And here it says that the word was Yahweh. So we have Yahweh taking on that shape and form as Yahweh Elohim. And Yahweh Elohim, he is Yahweh because that's Yahweh taking on shape and form. And then it says, let's go ahead and read, read, uh, go ahead and read on and two and three. And let's read again how all things were made by him, Yahweh Elohim or the word. Okay, the same was in the beginning with Yahweh. All mm -hmm. things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So we have the word who, who was with Yahweh and really he was Yahweh for all intents and purposes. So then in verse 14, what does it say, Mike? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now that word, that visionary shape and form that appeared unto the apostles, that appeared unto, it, he appeared unto the um, prophets and to the patriarchs. That word who, who, that shape and form really was Yahweh, who is also pure spirit, he was made flesh. Now, flesh is talking about like we walk around with fle a fleshly body. So we find that Yahweh exists in two states. Yahweh, pure spirit, takes on a shape and form of a man seen in visions, which is still an incorporeal form. And then he manifests in the flesh. But it's still all Yahweh. It's Yahweh in a particular shape and form, in the shape and form of a man, incorporeally or physically. So the word was made flesh. That's what, how we can understand when Yahshua said to his disciples, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Now, when you see me, you see an example of my father because I look, for, I look a lot like my father. You, so you could say, oh, when I see Jerry, I see, the, I see her father. Well, you might see her father because of some manifestation that I have, but it's not really my father. It's just a, an example of my father. But when you see Yahweh Elohim or when you see Yahshua, the Messiah, you're looking straight at the Messiah. You're looking straight at the Father when you see the Messiah. That's why in the scripture lesson, if you could remember what he what it said, let me go back. That was 1 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. What was we what did I start off with? It says, it says to wit. That Yahweh was in the Messiah. That's what I wanted. That's what I was looking at. Verse 19. Yahweh, he was in the Messiah. That's why he, Yahweh said, you, when you see me, you, see the, the, you can see the Father. And, you know, really, Yahweh, he, he has no, no problem taking on or off a physical body. I mean, we, we have trouble taking off two or three pounds and we all have these resolutions that were put everybody I gotta lose some weight and we're gonna like try to do it and then it's the same thing next year because either we didn't keep it off or whatever but he he can well, take off the whole physical body at will 
And he, he did so at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, I'd like to go ahead and pick that up over there, uh, if you could, the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, and he did so even after that, after his resurrection, you'll find that it will say, Yahshua appeared, doors being shut. That means he came walking in the room, but nobody opened the door for him because he just appeared there. And there's so many examples of that. So did we get the Mount of Transfiguration? You want Matthew 17? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I have it too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. After six days, Yahshua taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And was, trans and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So we find that he took up, Yahshua took up Peter and James and John. They brought him up to a mountain, and he changed form or transfigured right before them. And that was in fulfillment, because really when Yahweh Elohim revealed himself back before, it founds out you find out that he took uh, Aaron and Nadab and Ubayu up and he into the mountain and he appeared before them and they describe what they saw. But here we find out that in the in the fulfillment, Yahshua the Messiah in front of Peter, James, and John, it says he transfigured before them. And I must have read that that verse a hundred times easy, because you know how you like in Christianity, I'm going to read my Bible. And you always start in Matthew because who wants to read the Old Testament? And come to find out that's the most important part. It's the Old Testament. But I'd start in Matthew and I'd read every time and I'd say, oh, that's nice. Yahshua trans or Jesus transfigured. And I never once even thought, what does that word transfigure mean? I just said, oh, that's nice. He transfigured. That means he changed into another form. Mm -hmm. right in front of him. He walked up in there with them and he was a, a physical body standing there with them. And right in front of him, he changed into another form. He changed into that incorporeal shape and form of a man known as Yahweh Elohim. He changed into that form right in front of him. Kind of lets you know who you're talking to when you see. You'd think that they would have no trouble denying Yahshua after right in front of them, he let them see that more glorified, if you will, shape and form of Yahweh Elohim. But right in front of them, he changed into another form. And it, was, it wasn't like another form appeared and it was somebody else. It was him <laughs> just changing into that form. Just like he changed from Yahweh Elohim into that form, although it didn't take all of Yahweh to change into the shape and form of Yahweh Elohim, but it's an exact express image of his person is the way it's described in the book. So that Yahweh Elohim is the exact impressed image of his person. So you find that he changed into another form here. And then he changed back into that physical form. And then he told them, don't tell the vision to anybody, because what they saw was that visionary shape and form of Yahweh. 
So when you see Yahshua the Messiah, or when they saw back there Yahshua the Messiah, they saw that physical body, Yahshua the Messiah. And those three disciples saw him change back into that spiritual form or visionary shape and form. Just like at, when he resurrected from the, from the tomb, he resurrected a spiritual body, not a physical body. And so he's still around, Yahshua the Messiah, but he's not in a physical body. He's in that super glorified uh, visionary shape and form again. Super incorporeal, not just incorporeal, super incorporeal body of Yahshua the Messiah. See, and we have examples of this in the flesh. If we read Romans 1, 19 and 20, which again is our theme song, I'll just quote it. Um, actually, actually, I'm not going to quote it. Just go get it because it's our theme song. We should read it. Romans, Romans 119. 20, yeah. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We can know his Godhead or supernatural nature by looking at these things that are made. And you see examples in the physical show forth how he exists. And he is invisible. I mean, you don't, he's not walking around in a physical body these days like he walked around as Joshua the Messiah. Although his spirit abides within the tabernacles of men as he promised he would dwell therein as the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts and minds of men. So we are able to tap into those attributes and have them manifest through us. That's what receiving the Holy Spirit is all about. But from a physical standpoint, you existed in three states. When you started off, you existed in a shape and form of a cloud, just like Yahweh. We have him drawn on this chart as a cloud and surrounding this chart because all things abide within Yahweh. And Yahweh, he, he chose the cloud to depict himself when he appeared to Moses and, and when he appeared to John. He a bright cloud overshadowed them showing it's not that he's a cloud. He just uses that because it has no particular shape and form. And you start off as just a bunch of attributes in a cloud-like substance within your mother's womb. And, and you're just barely taking on shape and form every day. And, and then you take on shape and form within that womb or within the cloud just like Yahweh took on shape and form as Elohim right within that cloud. And that shape and form can be seen in, in a kind of a vision. I was able to go and see one of these ultrasounds. And then when you see an ultrasound, if, if you see an ultrasound of the baby, you can see the shape and form of the baby right in there. You can even find out what the sex of the baby is or see if he has, you know, uh, some diseases and stuff or problems, uh, the way it's developing, you can see all this right with the ultrasound. And the ultrasound is just like having an x-ray, which is like having a vision of something that you, that you can't really touch. It's just an image. 
It would be likened unto Yahweh Elohim or that intermediate shape and form. And then after nine months, you come out as a physical baby that you can touch and see and hear. But even the same baby that came out of the womb that was seen in that ultrasound that was in that in that cloud back there, it's the same baby all along. It's just in a different form. And we're made, it says, in the image and likeness of our creator. The way that we came into existence or the way our bodies are made are just like he exists. He exists in that pure spirit state, intermediate state, and physical state. You find out that all matter exists in three states, in a gas, a liquid, and solid. For example, let's take H2O. That's something we're all familiar with. That exists in a gaseous state, which, which would be like fog. We had a lot of fog here this morning. Or, or steam, that would be a gaseous state. And you can take that steam and you can condense it down and it becomes a liquid state, which we would call water. And you could take that same steam and condense it down into water and condense it even further into that physical form, which would be ice. So you have steam and water and ice, three separate shapes and forms, if you will, but it's still all H2O. Now we don't call it H2O in every state. We call it, we call it steam, water, and ice to depict which shape and form that H2O is in, which is why we call him the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's not because Yahweh is a physical father. Although in the sense, because from a physical standpoint, a father is a great example of how Yahweh, Yahweh Elohim came from the father or from Yahweh. He came from, and, and our, from a physical standpoint, we look like our fathers. We have the same genes and chromosomes that that came directly from our father so that they can say yes you were the our the father because they tested and see that the same attributes are in the son as in the father and these are examples in the physical to show us a spiritual principle that those same attributes that Yahweh is is the same attributes that Yahweh Elohim is just in a shape and form of a of a visionary shape and form and then that we call him the son because he's, again, he's a lesser form of the father because it didn't take all of Yahweh to make up Yahweh Elohim. But yet and still he's a representation of, and he also bears the name of the father. The name of the father is Yahweh. So you know what Yahweh Elohim's name is going to be. It's going to be Yah something or something Yah. It's going to be Yahshua when he manifests in the flesh. That's what they're going to call him, Yahshua, because he came in his father's name. So, And then he's called the Holy Spirit because when he gives of, of his spirit, it's like him being our husband. He says, 
the, in the type, it says Yahweh is your husband, but it's Yahshua, the Messiah, who puts his spirit in our hearts and minds and becomes our husband, and we become his bride. We become married unto him, and being married unto him is as good as being in the Father, because Yahweh said, let them be one as you and I are one. That's what Yahshua, the Messiah, said in his prayer to the Father. Well, they're one. They have the same attributes. And we can be likewise one with Yahweh through Yahshua the Messiah or receiving those divine attributes manifest in us because we, we have become one just like he has become one. And in the, in the scripture lesson, it talked about in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, it talked about how that we would be made a new creature. Well, let me see if I can. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, our scripture lesson. It talked about um, seventeen. Seventeen. That's what I want. And then second, second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. Yes, and 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 if you could get Colossians, I think it's three and ten. Mike, go ahead. Therefore, go ahead, if, therefore, if any man be in the in Yahshua, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things and, are become new because as it reads in the next verse, um, because all things are of Elohim who has reconciled us to himself by Yahshua the Messiah. Get Colossians 3 and 10 and then I'm going to yield the floor. My time's about up anyway here. So. 3 and 10. 3 and 10. And have put on a new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him see we we we're we've put on a new man and it's renewed in knowledge it's the knowledge that's going to make us new it's not like a new whole creature gets in us you know it's that we're renewed or reconciled unto yahweh and we're made to be a new man read on after the image of him that created him. We're created just like the image of, of the one that created him. So when we skip down in verse 12, it talks about how that we need to put on, put on as the elect or chosen of Yahweh, the bowels of mercy and kindness and humbleness and meeks, meekness and all these things that that those attributes that, that are either main attributes or sub-attributes of who Yahweh is, those things are things that we're going to be putting on. That new body, it says, that we grown to be, that we want to have on us, though we're in the flesh, we're absent from Yahweh in the scripture lesson. And, and, and in 16, it said, let the word of the Messiah, well, we know who the word is, let him dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And, and uh, that's what the whole purpose of us coming into this class is for, that the word of Yahweh or Yahshua the Messiah would dwell in us and those attributes would be manifest in us in what, what we say and do and think and in the, to the point where we're not the same one we were before. 
We're not the same man. We're a new man created in the image and likeness of our creator, Yahweh Elohim. And praise be to Yahweh. But Yahweh, this is who he is. He's not a trinity. He's not three separate people that get together. If you look in your Bible, you'll, you could look from the beginning cover to the end, and the word trinity isn't in there because he doesn't exist as a trinity. He says, I, Yahweh, am Yahweh a unity, or he's one. Again, thank you for your attention. I encourage you to come back to this class because there's no place like this where you will come and find a true knowledge of Yahweh our Elohim as he really is and actually exists. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Geller. And our next speaker this afternoon will be Dr. Greg Prestis from our Ithaca, New York class. Good evening, class. Good evening. Uh, I'm glad to be with you and uh, thank you for this opportunity. Um, you know, the things that are taught in this class and the things that we learn here are really phenomenal. And, um, you know, it's all often mentioned just how fortunate we feel to have come to a point where the Bible actually makes sense and um, things going on in the world and uh, life in general because of the knowledge and understanding we have of the existence of Yahweh and um, the operation of his purpose. Now, Jerry has given us um, an excellent uh, foundation for understanding uh, how Yahweh exists and how it's represented in the Bible. Because uh, one, of the, one of the things Dr. Kinley had to accomplish after he had his vision was he had to... Um, explain his vision um, at how the things he saw in his vision actually were an explanation of what's in the Bible and how um, the religions that were walking around and um, using the Bible and purporting to be representatives of what's in the Bible, uh, the Catholic religion, uh, your Protestant and uh, Christian religions, for the most part, um, were were incorrect in their uh, understanding of the Bible, and therefore, in claiming that they had the authority of the Bible, were actually uh, grossly misrepresenting the 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 purpose of Yahweh. Now, I want to. Um, Stay on the, the foundation that's been laid and uh, bring in the scripture reading a little bit and just, um, just work with some of these things for uh, the brief period of time uh, that I'll have tonight. Second and, Corinthians you know, 5.1? Uh, yeah. Um, 
Go ahead. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of Yahweh, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Okay, now, you just come in and read the Bible without the context and without um, an understanding of the things that Jerry has explained and without the understanding of some of the other basic principles of this teaching. And you're just subject to uh, imagination as, as to what this means. Um, house, you know, I live in a house. Uh, tabernacle, what's a tabernacle? I certainly wasn't familiar with a tabernacle before I came here, um, and, and so on. Now, uh, a lot, another thing we've learned about the Bible is that these chapters and verse numbers are uh, somewhat arbitrary, and they were added to the Bible to help with the organization and referencing. But that originally, uh, Corinthians was a uh, the Second Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the assembly that was in Corinth, and oftentimes it's it's worthwhile to take a peek at the previous chapter when it sounds like, um, you know, you're in the middle of a thought because we're starting here for, um, for we know. So that implies he said something earlier that, that he's uh, relating to. So let's just go back to the fourth chapter for a second. And, um, just pick up the last verse. While we look not at the things which are seen. See, now we have I, the same problem there, but that would mean we would have to go through the whole fourth chapter, and then that would be that would be the class. So we're just going to pick it up. And so he's bringing out the point, and he's been talking up above. Um, oh boy, let me get a let me get a couple of things. Um, yeah. Four one. I'm sorry. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. <laughs> so you see the problem? I mean, these are such simple things. But to just, you know, you, you have a, a phenomenon in the in the religious world called uh, chapter and verse people who memorize verses and they, they there's a subject and they call a verse. But this is a, a letter and there's a... a a line of thought that Paul develops, and there's topics that he covers. And even the fourth chapter begins with a therefore, which would take us back to the third chapter, and we would never get anywhere. So we're just going to pick it up uh, at 2 Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, these things, see, uh, I mean, when I was in the Catholic Church as a kid, uh, it wasn't an option. I mean, my parents insisted that I go to church with them. And church was conceived as um, something that you had to do in, in order to please God. And, and it's already been mentioned tonight to, to some extent. But these classes, this is not a work. We're coming here uh, in order to learn and to know and to understand our the our Creator for real and for sure, and the knowledge and the understanding that we gain here is based upon 
solid evidence and witnesses once you learn how to work with the Bible and to work with the creation. Now, it's mercy. And uh, for the most part, we're happy and glad to be able to attend these classes. And especially since the pandemic sort of forced us into this uh, video conferencing venue, um, the gospel has become available on a much broader basis than it was when you're restricted to just the physical locations that we have. So we've received mercy and we recognize that it's a mercy and we recognize the value of this teaching and therefore that gives us the energy and the courage and the um, perseverance to continue to provide, make this teaching available to anyone who's interested, even though sometimes uh, it's not received uh, in the best fashion and, and sometimes um, it's tiring. But we persevere to the best of our ability because we have received mercy and we understand that it is a precious gift to be able to understand and know that there is a creator, there is a God, and that he does exist and that he does have a purpose and it can be understood and that we uh, are part of that purpose and we are playing uh, a part of that purpose and we are not separate from Yahweh. We are indeed, everything in existence is indeed a manifestation of Yahweh according to his purpose. And this is a lot. I mean, the just the things that Jerry talked about, and, and as I'm thinking of these things that are coming to my mind, um, there's really no end to the depth and the simplicity and the continuity of the things that we can come to understand in this class. Now, um, verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of Yahweh deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of Yahweh. Okay, now you wouldn't necessarily realize it, but um, I, I've already, sorry for bouncing the charts around here, I've already mentioned it, Um what we refer to as uh, the organized religions of our day, um, it's it's a at best it's a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of the scriptures, and at worst it's um, it's a dishonest craftiness, convincing people in this day and age that they have to obey a physical priesthood, participate in physical ceremonies, they have to be physically circumcised, they have to be water baptized, they have to offer up some form of sacrifice. Uh, if it's not an animal as it was in the old days with Israel, um, they want you to uh, dig into your wallet and support, support them by sharing your livelihood with them. And then by having a a, a set of ordinances and commandments that are external to you that you're supposed to try to obey in order to please God. Now, 
we'll, the, this has gotten into in many classes, and um, it's been mentioned, and I'm not going to work with it extensively tonight. But Yahshua came in not to institute a Christian way of life. All of these things were already instituted back with the Jews when Yahweh delivered them out of Israel, out of Egypt, into the wilderness through the auspices of Moses. So the things that are being practiced today are dishonest and crafty. Um, well, because Jesus was baptized, you need to be baptized. Well, Jesus, whose name is truthfully Yahshua, he was crucified too. So why do the one thing and not do the other? And if you just take a minute to think about it, um, it's not consistent. Um, and we have in these classes, through the knowledge and understanding that we've received and through the revelation of the Spirit, seen that Yahweh is Spirit, as has been mentioned. Um, let's get John 4.24. John 4.24. Yahweh is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So you see, he's not worshipped with men's hands. He's not worshipped by anything that you can do with your hands. This was established for a purpose and is fulfilled in Yahshua. And we're now operating under the new covenant where we worship Yahweh in spirit and in truth. And truth, in reality, is a, is spirit. So um, we've renounced the hidden things of Christianity and Catholicism and carnal ordinances and all the things that you have uh, listed here in order to worship Yahweh in spirit and in truth. Um, in order to have those attributes of Yahweh, intelligence, wisdom, knowledge, beauty, love, justice, foundation, power, and strength, the divine attributes of Yahweh, taking on shape and form within our hearts and transforming us inwardly into the likeness of the inner man of Yahshua the Messiah or that glorious heavenly being that Jerry described to us. Now, verse 3. But if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Yahshua, who is the image of Yahweh, should shine unto them. So you see, that's what you're experiencing tonight. That's what these classes are about, is um, we're... Uh, the light was shown on us through the preaching of the gospel, and to those of us who have been allowed to see it and understand it, to those of us that the Holy Spirit has illuminated our understanding of the things that are in the scriptures and the things that are in the creation. Um, see, the light of the glorious gospel has illuminated us. Now, um, we had another scripture earlier where the spirit of Yahweh is, there is liberty. So this understanding, this light, the truth that's embedded in this glorious gospel, if it penetrates and takes on shape and form and lives in our hearts, see, then it frees us from these erroneous, crafty, um, dishonest concoctions where you imagine that doing something physically somehow uh, accrues uh, some spiritual benefit. 
Um, the flesh is the flesh and the spirit is the spirit. Um, you just can't. Yahweh is not worshipped with men's hands. Does anyone know where that scripture is? Let me Acts see. 17th chapter. Acts 17. Yeah, Acts 17, yeah, 24. If you could get that for me. Acts 17, 24. Yahweh that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is ruler of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Okay. Now, another thing that it's very helpful to understand is when you read something out of the Bible, it's helpful to know who's saying it and where we are in time or, or where we are in, in the purpose. Now, um, here on the Moses chart, when Yahweh uh, sent Moses down into Egypt and delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, um, they came into the wilderness. Uh, it's already been explained how Yahweh appeared to them in the form of this great heavenly anthropomorphic being. Um, Moses went up into the mountain and saw the vision of the creation and the vision of this tabernacle that he was told to build in the wilderness. And when that tabernacle was completed, the cloud that they had been following out of Egypt and that had set atop Mount Sinai, the cloud filled the tabernacle. And so you had the spirit of Yahweh dwelling within that physical building in the wilderness. But that was a type and a shadow of um, Yahshua the Messiah. And... Uh, like I say, we've had an excellent foundation tonight. The spirit of Yahweh um, manifested in this heavenly anthropomorphic form. And then it was Yahweh walking around as a physical man. And it was in that shape and form that his name, he revealed his name to be Yahshua. And so Yahweh coming out of this abstract state into this intermediate state of shape and form, this is referred to as Yahweh being in the sonship degree or as the word of Yahweh. And it was the word of Yahweh, or which is Yahweh himself, who then manifested in the flesh. Now, um, most everyone, if you've been coming to these classes for any period of time, uh, should be aware of the... Um, Fact, I'll call it a fact, um, and we'll go through it briefly, um, that this tabernacle pattern is also uh, that the human body is in the image and likeness of this tabernacle pattern, so to speak. So um, just as you have the most, you have the brain, which is in your head, and that's... Um, our most holy place. That's where our thoughts and feelings and ideas and memory and identity and character and everything uh, resides as far as we understand it. And then you had the most holy place of the tabernacle and that's where uh, that cloud resided and um, 
on the Day of Atonement, Yahweh would appear, Yahweh Elohim, the Word, would appear to the high priest in that most holy place. And you see, through the preaching of the gospel, through that illumination, the glorious light of the gospel, we have a vision in our hearts and minds, and we're seeing Yahweh uh, appear to us in shape and form as that divine nature in our minds, just as the high priest saw a vision of Yahweh Elohim on the Day of Atonement. Now, uh, the holy place of the tabernacle is where uh, there was a daily ministry, and there was a lampstand that provided light. There was an altar of incense where they burned incense and offered prayer every day, and there was a table of shewbread. Um, and you can see when you come over to your holy place, um, your life is literally dependent on what goes on here in the holy place from a, a daily standpoint. Um, you can go without food for quite a while. It's not pleasant, but it, you, you won't die immediately. You can even go without water for a fairly long period of time, but um, you cannot go without breathing. And so you have your lungs, which uh, intercede, and uh, the atmosphere, the oxygen that's in the air outside of you comes into your lungs. Your lungs transmit that oxygen into the blood, which is pumped by your heart and circulated by the aorta. Now, I'm not going to go into um, the in-depth structural correlations right now because I, I want to keep moving. But you see, Yahweh dwelt in the tabernacle. The cloud filled the tabernacle. And uh, your body, you were completely formed in the womb. But you would not be here today. You would not be walking around if you had not taken your first breath and if you had not continued breathing and, uh, and continued breathing while we're in this class. So just as the cloud fills that tabernacle, see the oxygen or the atmosphere that we abide in and can't get outside of, it fills our tabernacle and gives us life. Now, in the court roundabout, you had a, the altar uh, of the altar for sin sacrifice where the animals were offered up and you had the brazen laver where the animals were washed and cleansed uh, before they were offered up and the priests were uh, washed in the laver. And then you had the horn of holy anointing oil, which quickens the priest. And then we see in the abdomen or the court roundabout of our body, um, we have our large and small intestines where our food is actually consumed. We have our kidneys, which cleanse the blood and regulate uh, the water level in your body. And then we have the adrenal glands, uh, which provide epinephrine and norepinephrine, which quicken us and, and give us life. Um, we're, we're aware of the fight or flight hormone, adrenaline, uh, when in emergencies. But, you know, when you start, if you start feeling sluggish, you go to the doctor, they will start checking um, your adrenal glands, because the, your adrenal glands must function at all times, and there's low levels of these hormones in your body. And so your body truly is um, a tabernacle. Now, uh, let's go back um, to where we were. Scripture. Okay. So. Um... Dwelleth not in temples made with hands, I think, is where we were. 
I thought we were five. Did, did oh, you're, I'm sorry. Acts, okay. Yeah, so sorry. No problem. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Where we, we're in the 20s, right? Um... Uh, sorry, guys. I'm going to have to ask you to try to keep your place because I, I, I um, let me see where we were. Uh, I thought it was dwelleth not in temples made with hands. It's what set me off on the tabernacle. Um, um, okay, 24. Yeah, uh, 24. Yeah, Yahweh that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is ruler of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now, you see, he dwelled in the tabernacle in the wilderness uh, for a period of time with the children of Israel, but that was according to his purpose. And Yahshua, the Messiah, came in. He fulfilled that covenant and um, brought in the new covenant on the day of Pentecost, and he no longer dwells in a physical building. Now, outside of the fact that everything in existence is spirit materialized, you can't you can't go to some building and God is not dwelling there. Um, where He is dwelling now under this covenant is in. Uh, see, your your body wasn't made by hands. The church on the corner was made by hands. Yahweh dwelleth not in temples made with hands. This tabernacle, which was made by hands, is symbolic of the physical body. And Yahshua was, Yahweh Elohim was walking around in that body of Yahshua the Messiah. And then on the day of Pentecost, the spirit that was in him, the essence that was Yahshua, returned and filled and occupied and dwelled within the hearts and minds of his disciples. And that's been going on um, this entire age, and it's still going on, on tonight. Now, um, he, so he's not worshipped with men's hands. He's not dwelling in buildings. And yet the world is teaching that he's in the church and um, that you have to go to church and make the sign of the cross or uh, participate in a supper and so on. And that's the dishonesty and the craftiness that um, this class will free us from as we come to understand um, the gospel. Now, uh, okay, so back to 2 Corinthians, and let's pick up uh, the 18th verse of the fourth okay. chapter, and then we'll get into the 15th verse. Okay, I mean, while we look not verse. at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So this tabernacle was seen, but it's showing forth principles of a spiritual tabernacle, which is not seen. Your body is seen, but the your understanding and your nature and your kindness and your attributes is not seen. So what we're looking at as the spiritual things, which are not seen with the physical eyes, but they're witnessed to by the physical things. But the things that are seen are temporal. 
Your body is temporal. This tabernacle is temporal. But the things that are not seen, the spiritual principles, the attributes that we've been discussing tonight, those things are not seen. Now, uh, let's go to the fifth chapter, please. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of Yahweh, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So this is something that Paul came to know through um, the revelation of the Spirit. And this is what um, we learn in this teaching. That um, though we are in a, this physical body, and I hope now you can see that when it says an earthly house of this tabernacle, Paul is referring to the physical body. And um, just as, uh, you know, that cloud filled that tabernacle, you, uh, you have to breathe in order to live. So your body... Um, is a function of the oxygen that you breathe. Your life uh, will cease very shortly um, if you're deprived of oxygen. But that is an allegory, the physical. Uh, let, let's get Romans 1, 19 and 20. We, we call these scriptures all the time, uh, but it hasn't been called yet tonight. So let me get that. Now, Dennis, uh, should I be wrapped up by um, 820? You have till 825, Greg. 825, okay. All right, I'm on it. That gives me 11 minutes. Romans 119 and 20. Because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them, for Yahweh has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now, Even you see, he... this Bible, or sorry, go ahead, finish up. I'm sorry. So that we, we understand... are without excuse, right? Yeah, so <laughs> that we are made without excuse. You know, there's a little bit of a, this this Zoom um, environment takes a little getting used to because there's a little bit of a time lag. So uh, I didn't mean to step on you like that. Um, so, this Bible, I mean, I never paid any attention to it at all before I came to this class because there are just things in here that you have no idea what they mean. Invisible things are clearly seen. Um, invisible means you can't see it. But you see, what Paul is referring to is, um, and it, it's been done several times tonight, uh, Jerry did it in explaining how Yahweh can exist in an abstract state, an intermediate state, and a concrete state, um, we have H2O, as she explained, which um, is the only substance I'm aware of that in the normal uh, temperatures that exist on the earth, not only does it exist in those three states, but it's absolutely essential that it exists in those states in order for the environment to support life on this planet. So that's taking something physical to understand something invisible. That's taking something temporal, something that's seen, to understand something spiritual that's not seen, such as the divine nature and, and the existence of Yahweh. Now, we're doing the same thing with this tabernacle. Um, 
Paul is making the statement here that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, if our physical body is dissolved, we have a building of Elohim, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So um, the tenth aim of this institute is to inherit eternal life now in the spirit of Yahshua, in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah, with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. And, you know, these things can sound quite fantastic and unbelievable. And that's why it's important that we take the time to explain how the things that are in the Bible and how the things that are in the physical creation witness and back up and verify that these principles are true and accurate. Because, um, I mean, I know many people that just have no use for the Bible whatsoever and think it's just Man, you know, but man, anybody can write anything. Makes no sense. It's just fairy tales, is is what some some people think about it. But when we can look in and see the principles and see the structure, and show you those same principles and that same structure in uh, science and in history and so on, then that allows us to give it credence and then that allows the Holy Spirit to reveal the, the meaning and the essence of these things. And that's the thing, um, the understanding that will transform our lives. Um, now, I need to start wrapping this up. Um, I'm down to seven minutes. Uh, I do want to get Ezekiel 36.24, if you would, please. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you unto your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Keep going. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So this is referred to as the old covenant. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he gave them those laws and ordinances and commandments and told them, if you keep those commandments then um, I'll, I'll, I'll be your Elohim forever and I'll take care of you and, and, and so on. But we find out that that, um, they didn't have, he, he, he didn't, they didn't have the ability to keep those commandments. So when we talk about the new covenant, uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 was worked with, and I just wanted to get Ezekiel, which is the companion scripture, See, he says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. The way that we can become pleasing to Yahweh is not by trying to follow um, some external laws the way he gave them to the children of Israel. He knows he didn't put it within the children of Israel to keep those laws. Yahshua fulfilled those laws, and while he was walking around in the earth plane, he was the personification of the Holy Spirit. Now, when he's crucified and uh, ascends into heaven on the day of Pentecost, the spirit that was in Yahshua, 
those attributes, the intelligence, the wisdom, the knowledge, the beauty, the love, the justice, the foundation, the power, the strength that was that soul or that nature of Yahshua. Now that is, see, he was he was broken for us. And it's that very self-same spirit that was walking around as that man that then is um, put into the hearts and minds on the day of Pentecost. And that's a fulfillment, a spiritual fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 31 and Ezekiel. And that's the spirit. It's the illumination. It's the understanding. It's that glorious light of the gospel that causes us to be, um, to understand his will and to be obedient and, and to operate according to his purpose. Now, um, for the last few minutes that I have, which are almost five, um, I just want to pick up again um, uh, back to 2 Corinthians 5 um, and go, go to 14, please. For the love of Yahshua constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they who live should not henceforth live henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. See, now we might think that that's something that we do. Um, you know, that that we love, we love Christ and but you see, it's the love of Yahshua. It's that Holy Spirit, that the love of the truth, the love of the Father, the love, the divine love, that attribute of divine love that was personified in Yahshua. That is the Holy Spirit. And that causes us to walk in his ways. Um, now, like I say, this, this is... Um, this is phenomenal. And just because we read it out of the Bible doesn't mean we necessarily understand it or it makes sense to us or we can even accept it. And that's why it's important that these classes and this vision that our founder had be taught. Now, uh, I want to go back to Romans 1, 19 and 20. I have just about three minutes. So what you find out, we've already talked about how this tabernacle was allegorical to the human body. And the cloud filling the tabernacle on a physical level is witnessed to by the breath, but at a spiritual level, it's showing how that Holy Spirit came in and animated our hearts and minds um, uh, it's, that began on the day of Pentecost. Now, if someone could find for me in the background treasure and earthen vessels, um, and I'm going to continue with this explanation. Now, you know, this is not a Bible reading, scripture quoting contest, but it's important, the more familiar we are with the things on these charts, which come from the Bible, the easier it is for us to understand Yahweh's purpose, because the understanding of his purpose is really the spiritual translation of this information that exists in the Bible. So if you're familiar with it, they, uh, children of Israel, spent 40 years in the wilderness, then they came into Canaan's land. And um, the tabernacle, which was, they journeyed all around, it was permanently placed on Mount Zion. And then um, time went on, and, and uh, eventually we got to Solomon, and Solomon built a temple. 
And that temple, see this tabernacle with skins and linen cloth, it was temporary. But that tabard, that temple, still physical and still temporary, but in principle built out of stone, covered in gold, inlaid with wood on the inside, studded with gems, was a glorious permanent structure. So when Paul talks about here how um, we have a building of Elohim, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, see this tabernacle, this the tabernacle represents our physical body. Uh, and the physical body of Yahshua the Messiah, and the temple represents the spiritual body of Yahshua or Yahweh Elohim. And so you'll find that the vessels that were in this tabernacle, when they dismantled the tabernacle to move to the temple, the vessels that were in the tabernacle were moved into the temple. So, see, when we uh, take off this flesh, our hearts, our, our souls, our essence, who we really are, having been born again through the preaching of the gospel, having been enlightened by this glorious spirit, which is Yahshua, then we go on, um, and let's read our 10th our aim, and I'll be finished. The 10th aim is to inherit eternal life now. Now, eternal kingdom. life is to know Yahweh as he really is and actually exists. And so we're alive spiritually now, but our physical bodies um, have a shelf life. They are temporary, Read To inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua the Messiah with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. So we're in the kingdom now walking around in these bodies just as Yahshua was. But what we're looking forward to is the taking off of the flesh, the passing through the veil, the end of this age. And uh, we have confident expectation that this understanding that he's given us and the spirit that's in us will transform uh, our physical bodies and will be made like unto him and will reside in that temple. And that's a witness we have where those vessels that were taken out of the tabernacle and enshrined in the temple, showing forth that we together with Yahshua will all be one in the new heaven and new earth. Uh, I hope this all made sense, and um, I'll turn the floor back to the moderator. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Prestis. And our, our third speaker this afternoon will be the president of our Oceanside, California class, Dr. Carl Emler. To the Catholic Church. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, Let's do this, um, because a lot has been said, and what I had been thinking about uh, is how, uh, in general, uh, the thoughts of the earthly population who believe in God and I say it that way because, as Sasha knows, uh, there are areas in the world where children are taught that there is no God, and they're taught to be um, they're taught to be atheists. And um, Sasha uh, was born and raised in Soviet Russia. He's on this call today and has made this testimony before 
that uh, he really didn't believe in, in God and then came to this country and was evangelized, essentially, by a Christian denomination. And uh, so he began to get uh, some kind of a feeling for what uh, the, I'll use in this term, the Christian denominations believe about God or the creator. Um, and there are similarities in Judaism and Islam, but there are also some significant differences. But the upshot is that when man, and you have to think of this for yourself, for those people, uh, well, for everyone who's sitting in this, within the sound of my voice. Um, now, for the most part, everyone has heard one of our lectures, two of our lectures, a thousand of our lectures, 10,000 of our lectures, somewhere's around that. So everyone's heard something about what, what is taught by this class as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, uh, Dr. Kinley. But prior to having encountered the explanation of God and spirit, prior to hearing these things, and I'm thinking of myself as well, uh, I came into this knowledge in 1970, the summer of 1970, I was 21 years old. And so I had 21 years uh, to get to know Christianity as the world knows it. And so some of you have come to this class, you know, in your 30s. Some of you have come in your 40s. Some of you come in your 50s and even later. And so you had that, those many years prior to this to reflect on about what you knew from what you were taught or from what was implied to you if you never attended church. So, for instance, uh, Greg talked about going to church. I think he mentioned going to church with his parents. Um, in my household, I never in my entire life, saw my mother or father go to church unless someone died or someone got married. <laughs> and that was it for my entire life. And yet uh, us kids attended church. Uh, my older brother got confirmed. Uh, I started and failed. My younger brother never even got baptized. So... We were a motley crew, the three of us, with respect to our uh, experience physically as far as Christianity is concerned. But again, as I said before, certain things we got from implication. And let me give you a good example of this. Uh, in uh, Rome, uh, at the ceiling of um, the, Sistine. the Sistine Chapel, uh, you have a depiction of Adam and God and God's 
kind of an older, but yeah, pretty good shape guy. Um, and he's reaching out to Adam and Adam is younger, still in pretty good shape himself. And he's reaching back. And so this is a common theme, common expression uh, uh, about God, the father, if you would, and us mortals. <clears throat> and so we read in Genesis that uh, God says, let us make man in our likeness and in our image. And so the Sistine Chapel uh, is painted with God looking like a guy and Adam looking like a guy. So supposedly, it's in uh, agreement with Genesis. And so it's implied that God's an old guy, older guy, uh, and he's in heaven. And so what is implied is that heaven is up in the cloud someplace. And so people look up and pray up and they're praying to a guy, a spiritual guy, granted, because he's in heaven, but he's an older guy sitting on a throne and he, you picture robes on him, etc., and a crown. And that's God, the father. And uh, and so I was raised, even though my parents didn't go to church and I didn't start going to church until I was old enough to decide I was going to go and what church I was going to go to. We weren't directed to go anywhere. Um, but uh by the time I got to church, I had already had this image of God being an old guy up in the clouds, up above sun, moon, and stars, uh, looking like my dad, essentially, older than me. And uh, that's God the Father, and he's up in heaven. And heaven's up in the clouds, because angels fly in clouds. And angels got wings, and angels fly, and they're little men, uh, kind of like cutie little men, which means you can't hardly decipher them from men or women because you didn't have men angels and women angels. Uh, but generally, the angels had men's names. And so you, it was implied to you that angels were men with wings flying around in heaven. This is what I'm trying to get across is that a lot of what we believe as far as God and spirit is concerned are things that have been implied to us simply through art, simply through tradition, and then reinforced when you go to these churches. Because I know that when I finally did go to church, uh, uh, they never said anything to cause me to think differently about what I had already believed about God. Uh, and so uh, our knowledge basically is word of mouth and uh, traditions of men and uh, artistic renditions of men who had already had the implied images that I had as a child. And so when these artists, uh, Michelangelo and these famous uh, artists, et cetera, began painting, they painted what had been implied to them as far as these religious icons and religious concepts and theories, as I would have done. Say I was a famous artist uh, back in the 60s and I started painting and I started painting things about God. I'd be painting an older man up in the clouds and angels flitting around. And then a younger guy, uh, that's his son. Uh, and it's really not clear 
from a heavenly standpoint where that sun comes from. Uh, but what we do have, again, implied is that this woman on earth, her name is Miriam or Mary, uh, gave birth to uh, the son of God, the old guy up in heaven, and Mary uh, gave birth. So in a sense, uh, God and Mary somehow had gotten together. And what you read about is that Mary was, um, uh, 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 oh, I forgot, I'm black blocking on the term, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and received this uh, uh, child uh, or this in her womb, blessed art thou uh, among women and that she had the, so she had God uh, as a child and she was the mother. She's the mother of God, according to Roman Catholicism. Mary is worshiped and honored and prayed to as the mother of God. Uh, quickly, someone get me uh, about uh, the intercessor. There's only one intercessor. And again, uh, what I'm trying to do is get you to, to remember what it is you actually believed about God prior to coming into any of these lectures. Because uh, as far as I know, uh, for the most part, um, what I'm relaying is what most everybody else, in, at least in Christianity, believed. Now, uh, Judaism could be a different story because they have some different uh, kinds of uh, iconology or ways to depict God. I'm not sure that they have God as an old man up above sun, moon, and stars. And, and even in some phases of Judaism, they don't really believe in any kind of an eternal life or eternal spirit. So there's a different story there that I'm not going to address, but I'm dealing with Christianity, basically. Uh, do you have that on the intercessor? There's one intercessor, one faith, one baptism. Is that the one with one intercessor? Uh, first Timothy 2 and 5 one yeah I'm right there okay I'm right there first Timothy 2 and 5 for there is one Yahweh and one mediator between Yahweh and men the man Yahshua the Messiah now this is what's in your book and I uh, a Roman Catholic would not recognize this uh, for the most part because there are Roman Catholics are encouraged to pray to Mary and that Mary, and this is what they say, that you know that a son would never deny his mother anything. So you pray to Mary and she'll take your prayers to Jesus, her son, and he will look kindly on Mary and answer your prayers. Now that's what they're taught. And if there are any Roman Catholics on this Zoom uh, room, who say that's not so, please speak up. But uh, that's my understanding. My mother was a Roman Catholic. Uh, I was baptized Roman Catholic, but I went to Lutheran church because remember, I got a chance to choose wherever I wanted to go. But I know a little bit about Roman Catholicism. And I know that much with respect to the encouragement of people to pray, Roman Catholics to pray to Mary. And yet in your book, reread that again, Linda, please. Okay, for there is one Yahweh and one mediator between Yahweh and men, the man, Yahshua the Messiah. 
So there's one Yahweh and one mediator between man, and that is Yahshua the Messiah. Mary's name is not mentioned here. The idea that Mary is a mediator or Mary should be prayed to or Mary is some kind of a holy intercessor is a theory, concept, and opinion, a tradition of men uh, because man does not understand the mysteries of this Bible. Uh, let me have... Um, uh, uh, I want great is the mystery of righteousness. I'll find it here, I guess. First Timothy 316. First Timothy 315. Is that it? Yeah. First Timothy 315. First Timothy 315. Sorry, I messed up your problem. Uh, and I got it if I need. Okay, go ahead. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Yahweh was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Mary's not mentioned in this. Nope. Uh, this is a great mystery that we're talking about. And the first two speakers described several aspects of this mystery. And I'm just trying to reinforce now to you that what you were taught or what you were implied with respect to uh, God or spirit of the creator uh, is not anywhere near what the reality of this thing is. Uh, that Yahweh uh, is spirit. And that's John 118. Yes. <laughs> I got it. Read John 118 real quick. No, 4. Oh, 424. I didn't get it right. Diane's a John, bat behind me going, no, you're wrong again. <laughs> John 424. Yahweh is, Yahweh is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, this is another thing that uh, was never reinforced. I never remember this being taught in Lutheran church. That God or Yahweh is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him, must, must, not a good suggestion, but must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, uh, uh, Michael, go back to Acts 17, 24, and Linda, uh, you're going to stay there uh, and... Um, uh, and you're also, Linda, put your finger in John 118, since you're in, in John. And Michael, get me Acts 17:24. Yahweh that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is ruler of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now hold it right there. So Yahweh, who is spirit, Yahweh is spirit, and they who worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, all the churches I went to, I never saw spirit at all. I never saw any magical thing. Uh, I never saw any ghostly thing. Uh, I never saw any miracles. 
I heard a lot of singing and did a lot of chanting back and forth with the minister and sat quietly while he talked about a little scripture here or there. And that's the extent of my experience uh, in going to church. And as soon as I left, I completely forgot everything that happened because nothing was significant in my life, what I learned. It was just, it was a good feeling for me to go to church. But uh, Yahweh, the true spirit, does not dwell in temples made with hands. And Greg talked about this on this chart. Uh, on Mount Zion, you see the tabernacle. And on Mount Moriah, you see the temple. And these were temporary structures. Both of them are temporary. How do I know that? Because the temple's not around anymore, no matter how solid gold it was. If it was a permanent structure, it'd still be around. And it's just not around. These two structures were manifestations of a principle. And the principle that these were manifestations of, not that Yahweh or spirit was going to dwell in buildings made with hands, but that Yahweh would dwell in man. I'm talking about physical bodies, you, physical bodies, man. But physical bodies are temporary. They are not permanent structures. In this manifestation, the tabernacle was a permanent structure. Now, I know you see a tabernacle on Mount Zion and you see a temple on Mount Moriah. I know you see those two there, but that's there just to instruct you that when Israel went across Canaan's land uh, or across the Jordan River to Canaan's land, that they built the tabernacle on Mount Zion and it stood there during the construction of the temple. It stood there for all this time until the temple was finally constructed. And then what happened? What happened when the temple was constructed? What happened is this, is that the Ark of the Covenant that was in the tabernacle was taken out of the tabernacle and brought into the temple. The laver of water was taken out of the tabernacle and brought into the temple. The altar of incense was taken out. The table of shewbread was taken out. The lampstand was taken out. The laver of water or the uh, altar of burnt offering was taken out. All of the things, all of the internal things of this tabernacle was taken out and placed into the temple. And the tabernacle was no more. They didn't have two structures there as a place you could go visit like a museum. Let's go look at the tabernacle and see what they used to do back in the olden days. That's not what happened. The rest of the tabernacle was just discarded. It was linen. It was wood. Uh, the boards and bars, pillars and boards and stuff. All of that was dismantled. And the temple uh, uh, re received all of the inner pieces of this tabernacle within the temple. Now, what is that telling you? Look at this tabernacle is representative of your mind. And we have been reading scriptures here with respect to uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I never heard about receiving the Holy Spirit when I was a Lutheran. No one ever told me I had to have the Holy Spirit because I'm quite certain I would have asked, well, what's that? <laughs> and uh, you got again, you've got to reflect back on when you uh, came into uh uh, Christianity before coming into this class through implication and through early church experiences, etc., teachings of your parents, worshiping holidays like Christmas and Easter. They were all filled with uh, 
uh, thoughts and ideas about uh, uh, God and, and spirit and religion. And none of it is what this reality is. But this uh, tabernacle, Yahweh inhabited this tabernacle. When this tabernacle was constructed, I'm talking about now the temporary structure. When the tabernacle was constructed before it was operational, the spirit of Yahweh filled this tabernacle and no one could go near it. It was a cloud completely covered it, filled this tabernacle. And so when you're born, you take your first breath and air just fills your body. And then uh, certain things happen. I'm not going to get into the biological aspects of it, but certain things happen that cause you to become a living soul. In other words, you now are uh, breathing air and you're eating from exterior uh, means, etc. And uh, you have, a, that's life. You have life. And this tabernacle uh, received a manifestation of that life when the cloud filled this tabernacle. But the tabernacle is temporary and your body is temporary. And Paul talked about when I take this, my tabernacle off, that I have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Well, what do I know about anything like that? Look at the manifestation, the example that we have here in Canaan's land. On Mount Moriah, we have a structure that is not portable, they didn't take this structure down and move it around wherever they went like they did the tabernacle in the wilderness of Sinai that was moved all over the place, dismantled and put right back together again. But once the temple was there, now it was permanently there, permanent until uh, it was sacked. Because now listen very carefully, the temple, the physical temple and all its glory was just a manifestation of this that Paul talked about, that I have a house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. This was a manifestation of that principle because you haven't seen that house with the eyes that you have in the top of your head. And so in order for you to understand the principle, Yahweh has given us these manifestations. And listen, this is the whole crux of Romans 1, 19 and 20, that the visible things reveal invisible spiritual principles. And uh, 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 give me the last name again. Uh, Linda, let, for, before you do that, Linda, read me John 1, 18. John 1, 18. No man hath seen Yahweh at any time. Or, I'm sorry. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. And you can read Yahweh because we all understand that. No man has seen Yahweh at any time. The okay. only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. So this son, the only begotten son who later, and I don't have time, I got 10 minutes going here. Uh, uh, the, is Yahweh Elohim is the, the word or son of Yahweh. He's the only begotten son. There was no sons up there that he shared. He didn't have siblings. You understand? This was the only begotten son who was in the bosom of the father. He was someplace in the father that is referred to as the bosom. And Yahweh, the father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this is this uh, Yahweh Elohim, whose name is Yahshua. And he, he he's in the bosom of the father because traditionally uh, in, in the world, in the absolute world, the heart of man is uh, uh, correlated with love. Uh, just wait for St. Patrick's Day for crying out loud. And the hearts go flying. 
Uh, and so uh, here, your heart is in your bosom, in your chest cavity, where uh, uh, is analogous to uh, the holy place of this tabernacle. And in the holy place of this tabernacle is the altar of incense. Remember, Mary is not the intercessor between Yahweh and man. It is Yahshua, the Messiah, who's the only intercessor. And so now we have an intercessor in the tabernacle. It it happens to be in the holy place, which correlates to the bosom or the chest cavity of man. And Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, who Linda just read, is in the bosom of the father or in the chest cavity, if you would, if we could just uh, use that briefly in order to keep these uh, correlations in mind so that you understand this one thing, that the explanation of your creator is consistent in spirit and in your physical body and in the tabernacle. And it's also consistent in the temple. As a matter of fact, it's consistent in all things that are made according to this tabernacle pattern because everything made according to this tabernacle is essentially threefold, a most holy place, a holy place, and a court roundabout. And so everything has some form of a bosom that's going to correlate to this sun and uh, no man has seen Yahweh at any time. So in order, because you can't see it, how do you know it exists? You think it exists because you've been told it exists. And, and therefore, it's been a historical implication that God exists. But you don't know anything about whether it's true or not. That's why you have atheists and agnostics. That's why people who believe in God for 20, 30 years finally decide they're not going to believe in God anymore because how can there be a God if the world is in such a uh, hellish state? And it is a hellish state right now. This world is in a hellish state with the wars and the pol political uh, infighting and backbiting and all of the, the crime and the shootings. And you, you're hard pressed to find a, a good news tonight, if you would, like some of these news articles do. But now, no man has seen Yahweh at any time. Uh, but the only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father can tell you what Yahweh is like. He declares the father. He tells you about the father. Why is that? How come he does that? Why? Because the only begotten son is, in fact, a visual by vision, a spirit visual body by vision that is a reflection, a reflection of pure spirit itself or the Father. Now, uh, Michael, are you still in Acts, the 25th chapter? You can answer okay. me, Mike. Are I'll you... get there. Oh, okay. The, the answer is no, but yes, do get there. And <laughs> I want you to go to where uh, it talks about we live, move, and have our being. I think it's 28, 17, 28. I'm not sure. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain of your, also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So now this is your, listen to me. This is your relationship with your creator in him, in Yahweh. And Yahweh is your creator because Yahweh is, is Elohim. That, that's just not Elohim. That's Yahweh Elohim. And Yahweh uh, did all his creating of these creations, both angelic and physical, through that shape and form that he took on. 
And in him, in Yahweh, who is Elohim, we live, we move, and we have our being, which means you can't get outside of him to look back at him. Because if you did that, you'd stop living, you'd stop moving, and you would no longer even be. And so since that can't happen, and they can't tell, and let me give you a quick manifestation of this. I'm down to four minutes here. I'm doing a Greg countdown. Uh, <laughs> uh, they haven't found the end of the universe you live in yet. Right. Not only have they not found the end of the universe you live in yet, they have no postulation of what is on the other side of the universe. They can't even conceive that there is a boundary in this universe upon which there is something on the other side of it. Do you understand? In other words, the concept for the universe is a concept of a place that is. No matter where you go, it is. It is there. And the reason they have that concept and, and what Michael read is that certain also of your own poets have said that we are also his offspring that it was already because of their experience in this creation recognized that we had to come from someplace. And Carl Sagan talked about you are star stuff. In other words, the elements in your body came from distant stars that brought together and formed the earth. And, uh, and every element that is in your body, you got from the dirt of the earth, but you got it through cows that ate grass that got the elements from the dirt of the earth into the grass and the cows ate the grass and you ate the cows. So you ate dirt, essentially only palatable dirt, tasteful dirt and not dirt dirt like little kids eat. Uh, and so you're uh, made of the elements of the earth, the substance of the earth. And so the Bible reads that that man was made uh, uh, out of the dust of the earth and they didn't know the science behind it back then. That was a revelation, a mystery given, an understanding given to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai, Genesis. And we don't have time to get in and show how that works now. But Moses saw the Genesis and had it written that uh, uh, man was made from the dust of the earth. Because why? Because Yahweh Elohim, listen to me, is the scientist of scientists. He is the premier PhD of all the sciences. And so now mankind has parceled that out because you can't be a, 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 a heart surgeon and a psychiatrist at the same time. There's not, there's not enough brain material for you to be able to master those. And then uh, you're going to be an astrophysicist. And you have all these different disciplines out there that are shared amongst men. But in fact, uh, uh, the Yahweh is all of those rolled into one. He is the scientists of scientists. And that's why uh, uh, when you look back at the scriptures, it's in agreement with what we learn in, this, in science uh, uh, thousands of years later. Uh, in, in, we learn about uh, man has the breath of life and oxygen comes from the sun, the S-U-N up in your sky uh, through photosynthesis and plants yields oxygen that you can breathe. And so the sun gives you life. I'm talking about the physical S-U-N in your creation, this ball of fire that you dare, dare not even touch. I got one minute. 
this ball of fire that you dare not even touch gives you oxygen that you need for life. And so we find out that the Holy Spirit, uh, the son of Yahweh, who is the Holy Spirit, you understand, uh, he breathed on those disciples and said, uh, receive ye the uh, um, Holy Spirit. And he gave them life. He breathed on them. And from a spiritual standpoint, imbued them with life and with a, a, an understanding of the scriptures. And they went about to research the scriptures after that. That's over there uh, uh, in Acts someplace, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a good grasp of where the scriptures are. But no, it's in Luke, 24th chapter of Luke. That's right. Uh, so anyways, uh, I'm done. Uh, I hope that what you've been able to see is that, in fact, these manifestations that we struggle to try to relate the spiritual principles to have their sole purpose in the eyesight of Yahweh or God or your creator to confirm, number one, his existence, and then to show you something about his existence so that you're no longer praying to some old guy up above sun, moon, and stars. When you get to heaven, you don't have to expect you're going to get little wings and fly around naked uh, or any of those things that you had as theories, concepts, and opinions. And it's a whole different ball game when you begin to understand the operation of spirit. And with that, I yield the floor. Thank you for the time. Thank you, Dr. Emler. We'd like to thank everybody who joined us today on our Zoom class. And we'd also like to thank those who have viewed us on YouTube. We hold our Zoom class every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. At this time, I'd like to ask the class to stay muted until the live stream has ended. We'll now be dismissed by the doxology, which is taken from the last two verses of the book of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, through Yahshua the Messiah, our Sovereign, belong glory and majesty, dominion and power, both before all time and now and ever. Let us all say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. hallelujah.